holy sweet mother of God shit. Hello, hello, hello. What, what, the, what the hell are you doing? I hope no one's eating dinner. The next best thing, every Monday night from 10 until midnight on Radio Free Brooklyn. Fun for everyone except for dear Jesus. Something like that. Folks, I hope everyone had a beautiful week and has gotten their Monday off to the best start ever, and we will finish it the same way. So, you know, here's the truth, and I knew this going in, so this was hardly a surprise, but moving, I mentioned last week that I was doing something I really never thought I would do. I never thought I would leave Brooklyn. I had come to love it, I had come to know it very well, and more importantly than anything else, I had come to feel damn comfortable here, and that's all that matters. I like to feel comfortable, and I want to know where things are, and don't talk to me, and keep my things perfect. Figure it out, shut up. Really, though, when I moved to New York, I never intended to live in Brooklyn. It was only a stepping stone. I had to live somewhere, and... I was desperate to get here, as, you know, people used to be, frankly. And so I got on Craigslist from Kansas City and did something that I would never in my wildest dreams advise somebody to do, and that is signing a lease and snagging an apartment sight unseen. What am I, nuts? Yes! And you know what? You know what makes it even crazier? It's not like I lived in New York City for 15 years and I had just gone away to go to school or something. I had never lived in New York City. At that point, I had been here to visit maybe like for a grand total of 14 days in my entire life. None of those minutes were spent in Brooklyn. But again, I just had to get here, folks. It was a calling. It was a compulsion. So I did it. But it was always seen as a stepping stone. It was affordable, and I was just going to live there while I looked for somewhere else. Well, I did that, I guess, kind of. But turns out I lived in that apartment, sight unseen apartment, for a little over a year. Then I moved, and then I moved again like three months later. But those three apartments were all within the 11206, and I stayed in the apartment, my most recent Brooklyn apartment. I stayed in that apartment for... Oh my God, for nine years. I'm trying to think if it's nine or a little over nine. Either way, that's a long time. I've never lived anywhere else in my life that long other than my childhood home. And I really, by the time, you know, the fifth year rolled around, not only was I not actively looking to move to Manhattan, but I had no desire to move to Manhattan. Not only did I have no desire to move to Manhattan, but if someone had said, hey, I have this place in Manhattan, and it's just as cheap, all that stuff, I probably would have said, eh, no thanks. I liked where I live. To this day, I like the location. Here's the problem. My my landlord, let me put it to you this way. I spoke to my landlord about like a month and a half ago for the first time in maybe four years because he was in jail. What? He was in jail, prison, for trying to bribe building inspectors. He's a scum bucket. And I was tired of dealing with him. But, and I said this last week, the real reason, if I'm being honest, is because about a year ago when COVID struck and it was obvious that no work was going to be returning to the city anytime soon, my two roommates packed up and basically moved upstate. And so for the past year, I've had my own place. And that's what this is really about. I, I, after a year of having your own place and being able to 
sprawl out or whatever. I was not ready to give that up. And so I found a place in the East Village and it was, I couldn't pass it up. So I'm happy. I'm happy to have my own place. It's in the East Village of all places. Here's the thing though. It is so expensive that it is almost emotionally devastating. I'm not, you know, it didn't put me in like dire financial straits, but it's just, I don't know. You start questioning everything. I, you know, I had to hire movers. I had no choice but to hire movers. It would have been impossible to do it otherwise. Even if I was able to somehow con my friends into helping me move, which as a Midwestern pushover, I probably wouldn't even have the nerve to ask. But even if they were willing, they don't, most of them don't have cars. And even if they had cars, their cars, we would have had to make like six trips back and forth. And here's the real kicker. My apartment in, in the East Village it's quaint, it's cute, I love it, but it's an old building, and the stairwell is ne- very narrow. They don't have an elevator. It's stairs, they are narrow, they are uneven. These are dangerous steps, even if you're just walking up with that nothing in your hands. I mean, when I say that they're narrow, the stairwell is narrow, and so are the halls. I, honest to God, didn't know if they were going to be able to get things into this apartment, because I didn't know if they were going to be able to get it in the hallway. And I have to hand it to them. They did it. Everything I asked them to bring, they did, and they got it in. But God damn it. Here's what ha- So I got an estimate for the move. By the way, I didn't even contact these people. The only reason I even was put in touch with this company was because a friend of mine works in real estate. And when I told him I was moving, he immediately referred me to them in an email. I find out later he gets a commission for that. <laughs> a little, yeah, anyway. No, I'm happy for him for that. But, so I, you know, she was like, well, how about a tentative list of things you'll be packing? Again, I didn't contact them, so I was unprepared for that stuff. But I sent her a tentative list and whatnot, and she sent me a an estimate based on my tentative list. Now, I don't care if it had been a ironclad, here's what I'm taking, down to the letter. I don't care what the estimate says. I know they're going to charge more than that. And I knew that I don't I don't have a bill I don't have an elevator in my current apartment or my Brooklyn apartment. So I knew they were going to have to get stuff down steps and I knew they were going to have to get stuff up steps. And I was just anticipating the whole thing and I was like this is going to be very expensive and I don't want a lot of surprises and and I wasn't hearing anything after the estimate. I was kind of like I need we need to talk. I need to touch base with you. Like I need to know how much this is going to be. Well, When I said that to her, I was packing. I'd been packing little by little. I had, you know, over 10 boxes, which is what she put in the original estimate. But some of these boxes were like half full. So it's not like the boxes were that heavy. But I contacted her because immediately I was like, okay, so I know now that there's more than 10 boxes. So right there, it's going to be more. And so I contacted her on Friday before moving on Sunday. And I said, look, I, I, I can't deal with this anxiety. I need to know how much it's going to be. So I have this many boxes. I might take this. I'm probably going to take that. What, what's it going to be? And she gave me a flat rate. Now, only after I got that fucking flat rate was I really able to get full access to this new apartment. Everything else had been kind of based on dimensions and based on photos and based on videos and blah, 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 blah. So I made this pact on Friday. I get the flat rate price and it's really fucking high. 
but it's at least flat rate. I know what it's going to be. Well, then I get that night, I get to go to the apartment and really scope it out, look exactly where I'm going to put this and where the turns out I can't take the couch. I told her I was going to take, I can't, it's just too big. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be right. It would take up too much space. I wouldn't be able to use it. So I have to downsize the couch. Okay. So right there, I'm taking a smaller, lighter couch. Oops. I also thought that, okay, I have 12 boxes packed right now. Well, I'll probably have more. So she put 15 boxes on the goddamn flat rate thing. I did not take 15 boxes. So I have a smaller couch. I have fewer boxes. And there were items I had told her I was probably taking that I ended up not taking. So folks, I just upped the estimate, willingly upped the estimate, only to take less than was on the motherfucking estimate. Son of a bitch. And I was really kind of, and I called them on Saturday and I said, listen, this just happened. So I don't want the fucking flat rate. Let's go with the estimate and I'll take my chances because I'm taking less than on this sheet. So there's no way it could be more. Well, it was too late to do that. On Saturday, apparently they, you know, their crew was already gone for the weekend. They had given them the, um, the plan or whatever. And they said that if I really wanted to push this, then I could tell them to call the office and all that stuff. And I probably would have done that. However, when we got to this, my new apartment and I was taking them up the steps, I mean, everything in this apartment is narrow. You couldn't move a fucking backpack into this place comfortably. And so every time I start to get pissed about how much the movers cost, I just walked up and down the stairs and I, these uneven, dangerous steps, narrow as hell, winding around. And I had this huge, heavy shiver robe and a couch, a small, but a couch. And there were some heavy boxes. And so I just bit the dust on that one. I took it on the chin. But I will say this. There was one thing that kind of pissed me off. Now, the guys who came, who showed up, the crew, I'm not going to say the moving company's name because they were fine, but I, they're not paying me for an endorsement. So the guys show up and I have to say, there's three guys, they're all Russian. And one of them, like the head guy is, uh, let's just say handsome. Yeah. I mean, he had these like blue eyes that were piercing blue eyes with dark hair. Now that that's an unusual look. And when it's natural, when someone has like black hair, but blue eyes, it's a just striking look. And he was very in shape and just a beautiful specimen. Let's put it that way. So that was nice. That was a tip for me, I guess. But he pissed me off at the, towards the end because despite the fact that I had seen them get all this shit into my apartment, very impressive, very impressive. When the time came to sign the slip and pay the bill, he made sure to say, no, this does not include the tip, uh, you know, a tip. So the bill was hundreds, uh, hundreds, let's say a thousand dollars because that pretty much was. And he's like, this does not include a tip. Uh, you know, uh, here, let me show you the, the tip 25%. That's inappropriate. You do not do that. And no, I was not going to tip 25%. I, I know this was Easter. I did not. First of all, that was on them. I told them I was going to move uh, the day before. So the Easter thing meant nothing to me. I didn't want it to be on Easter. That's when they could do it. And I was already paying an arm and a leg. And I don't have fucking money, but I was planning to tip. Sure. 
But you don't say what percentage, you son of a beautiful bitch. That, I did not like that. And it put me on the spot, and I hate that. And so 25% of my bill was, I mean, like $230, which I don't have. And so my, you know, being bold, I said, um, you know, why don't we do 200 flat, which is still like 24%. I mean, that's hardly me taking a stand. And he kind of was like, oh, you know, you know, okay, okay. If that's, it would kind of make me think, oh, if you want to be a cheapskate. <laughs> and I was like, you son of a bitch. Like, you do not get, like, first of all, let me just say this. Yeah, they got the stuff in the apartment and nothing is destroyed, but they weren't the friendliest group. You know, I would offer them water and I'd try and be helpful and I'd try and I'm not like a huge small talker, but I would make jokes and kind of talk and I would ask questions. I would ask questions. I'd be like, uh, so is how many moves do you guys have today? And he would just smile. He wouldn't answer me. How weird is that? Of course, he didn't have much to say until it was time to talk to me about what I'm going to tip. Not what I feel I should tip, but what he's dictating to me. So I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. But let me, you know, so the move, the bulk of the move did happen on Sunday. Things are moved over there. The worst is over, or so you think. Speaking of working, I have something I just have to get off my hairy chest. I don't know why I said hairy chest. It's really not, but who cares? Today at work, it became apparent that a woman named Rachel Hollis, who has written a lot of books and does a lot of podcasts and stuff that are mainly focused on self-help, and women's empowerment, and living your best life, and rising together, and all of that stuff. Well, today, it became very apparent that Rachel Hollis said something, or she's feeling the wrath of society because of something she said on social media. And it's not just society. When I say society, I mean the online wokesters and virtue-signaling heroes who find it appropriate to get offended by things online and ruin people's lives. And it's not just them, you know, depending on how many of them there are, and we're seeing more and more of it lately, it doesn't have to be that many. When the online wokesters get angry, the corporate sponsors and the business partners, they start to flee, and that's what we're seeing. I know this because we do the ads for her shows. So I can tell you, as of today, earlier today, a lot of them were starting to cut ties, pull their ads out. And I'm not, I'm not unfamiliar with this situation or with these scenarios because we also do the ads for David Dobrik's show, Views, which hands down is our company's biggest asset because we don't just do the ads for that show. It's an, one of our original shows and it has a huge audience, huge, or at least it did. Look, here's the thing. So here's an important distinction I want to make before saying anything else. You all know, I mean, if you've ever listened to this show before, then you know that I am not down with the blind, fervent, social justice warrior nonsense. I absolutely believe in equality and I believe in accountability for sure. And frankly, a lot of times the things that are uncovered that these people have done or said, you know, a lot of times it's really, really bad, and it's worthy of admonishment, and they should and do have to face the consequences. When it's warranted, it's warranted, and they have to face the music. But it's not always warranted. With David Dobrik, now look, I don't actually watch, I, we produce his show, but I do not watch his videos. I probably wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't even know who he was. 
wouldn't even know who he is. But just based on the stuff that he's admitted to, you know, like secretly filming someone having sex without their consent. And, and I don't mean someone having sex with him. I mean, he filmed two other people having sex while hiding in a room. And I, I don't know if he posted it online. I think he did. And it was some, it was just a prank. I mean, that's not acceptable. And there's also accusations of sexual assault. So look, I get it. I get why sponsors would want to cut ties with him. With this Rachel Hollis thing, I'm having a much, much, much harder time making the connection. And frankly, if you or so, if you or someone you know, I don't know why I just felt the need to break into Robert Stack from Unsolved Mysteries. If you can explain it to me, please do. Tweet at me, email me, call in right this very minute. I, I just don't get it. Uh, and maybe there's something I'm missing. And I'll say that point blank, because honestly, I am all about learning and I really do want to understand. And frankly, there were some coworkers of mine today who did seem to, to think this was really bad, who did seem to kind of think it was damn worthy. And so maybe I'm just missing something. I totally recognize that, but, but I'm just failing to see where she committed this crime. So here's the thing. Apparently at some point, a user made a comment on, I guess, her one of her social media pages, she made a comment that Rachel Hollis was unrelatable because apparently she mentioned having a house cleaner. Now hold the goddamn phone right there. That, let me just say, is ridiculous. A lot of people hire folks to come and clean their homes. I don't because, yeah, I don't. I just don't. Whether I can afford it or not, I choose not to because... Obviously, I can't afford it, but I don't, I'm not, I don't fucking hold it against people who can, for God's sakes. Anyway, a lot of people hire folks to clean their homes and Hollis never in her wildest dreams. Here's the, and this is the biggest, there is one thing she did super wrong. It's this, who gives a motherfucking shit that someone called you unrelatable? It's for something stupid, like mentioning you have a house cleaner. Why would you feel the need to respond? She, she never should have responded to such a comment or any online comment for that matter. That was her biggest mistake. But when someone commented and said that she was unrelatable, she responded with this quote, what is it about me that made you think I want to be relatable? No, sis, literally everything I do in my life is to live a life that most people can't really relate to. I mean, most people won't work this hard. Most people won't get up at 4 a.m. Most people won't fail publicly again and again just to reach the top of the mountain. Literally every woman I admire in history was unrelatable. If my life is relatable to most people, well, I'm doing it wrong. End quote. And then came the kicker and the balser. Then she did what apparently really set people off. She said, literally, every woman I admire in history was unrelatable. Well, then she felt the need to go ahead and list those women that she so admires. Quote, Harriet Tubman, RBG, Marie Curie, Oprah Winfrey, Amelia Earhart, Frida Kahlo, Malala Yousafzai, Wu Zishin, all unrelatable AF. First of all, this woman is probably in her 40s. Don't say AF. <laughs> okay. So she listed those women and said, all unrelatable AF. Well, that did it. People saw that as comparing herself to those women and or 
putting herself in the same category as them. Now, I fail to see that at all. She said, literally, the quote, literally, every woman I admire in history was unrelatable. And then she lists these women. She said that these are women she admires. I mean, if I sit here and say that I really admire Barack Obama, Martin Luther King, and Jimmy Carter, is that the same thing as me saying, hey, look, me, Barack, Jimmy C., and Nelson, yep, we're all one and the same. <laughs> no. How you could even possibly get there from what I, I just don't get it. Now, there was also some talk about how when she mentioned her house cleaner, she said something like, you know, she cleans the toilets. And people saw this. First of all, I don't know the context. So it might have been, oh, yeah, you know, she's so great. She comes over and she's so thorough. She cleans the this, she cleans the that, she cleans the toilets. I don't know. But apparently people found that saying she cleans toilets, they saw that as demeaning and felt like it was somehow implying that housekeepers don't get up early and don't work hard like Rachel said she did to reach the top of the mountain. Now, again. I think that's a stretch. I think that's a stretch, but it doesn't matter what I think, and it doesn't matter what really is true, because uh, we saw it today. Advertisers are already starting to flee, and Rachel Hollis is already starting to fade away. The cancellation has begun, not just of her ad partnerships, but apparently of her entire being. Now, I have to say one thing that has not been mentioned, and this is so fucking weird to me, so supposedly this is all about what? Women's empowerment? You know, uh, she made some demeaning comment about her female house cleaner, I guess. You know, first of all, we don't even know what the relationship is like between her and her house cleaner. I mean, for fuck's sake, you know, maybe they're best friends. Maybe they exchange Christmas cards. Maybe they see each other as members of the family. We don't know. But to me, if this is all about women's empowerment, uh... There is, it seems way more anti-woman to me to scold a woman for something she said, destroy her life, her career, her business opportunities, and basically tell her to shut up and go away, which is exactly what's happening here. How in the world is this being lost on people? I don't care. I mean, honestly, yeah, we do her ads. I don't listen to her shows. But, you know, people do. I don't know anything. I don't know much about her, but I know that she's about, you know, empowerment and self-help and being the best you you can be. Like, I'm sorry. I just don't get how this is warranted at all. You know, the article I read about this, and this it's the article that one of my female coworkers, who apparently does see the evilness here, it's the one she sent to me. The article did not say much more than what I've just told you. And if that's the case, if there really isn't more here, you know, like some long history of abuse and her mistreating her house cleaner or something, then this really, this is troubling to me. This to me really looks like people going out of their way to, you know, take something that someone said, twist it around. Obviously, she was not purposefully demeaning her house cleaner. That's not what the point of the message was. So they're kind of parsing her words and twisting things around to ruin her life, <laughs> to ruin her life. She's going to lose everything. I mean, do we really think that she was trying to, you know, demean and diminish her house cleaner? This, there was someone, someone commented 
or or no, it was actually included in the article. Basically, that you know, by listing all these qualities, getting up at four a.m. and working hard, as if housekeepers don't do that, well, they'll never be a CEO. What you're off- first of all, you're offended for somebody else who you don't even know if they're offended. You don't need to be offended for other people. You fucking people! I get what is wrong with us. Is the whole world gone crazy? Number one, number two, you're saying that you're getting angry for her doing something that didn't happen. It really didn't happen in terms of like, this is really going to become some kind of a, she attacked her house cleaner because that's not what happened. This whole thing started by her being called unrelatable for having a house cleaner who, by the way, okay, so what you want her to get rid of her house cleaner? Well, uh, newsflash, her house cleaner is paid for what she does. That is her living. So because of this weird wokeness, we want someone to lose a job, lose a source of income. Uh, and if she doesn't, she has a house cleaner. So she's employing this woman. That's no good because you're unrelatable. So I guess fire the house cleaner. She loses a job. And now you're more relatable I don't, is that really, you're really more relatable? Rachel Hollis has podcasts. She has an empire. She's doing very well. It's, if there's anything that makes her unrelatable, it's not having a house cleaner. Again, this all comes down to why she responded to that comment. I don't know. But I mean, that was the biggest mistake, like I said, but it's not worthy of fucking destroying her life. And I don't understand it. I don't like this. We have to break out of this weird trans and fixation we are in of getting offended and canceling people again i've said it and i'm going to say it again some things are worthy of cancellation yes but we are in i mean to say we've blurred the line is an understatement the understatement of the year we are canceling people for i mean ellen damn near was canceled for i guess being kind of a tough boss Really? I mean, <laughs> like, oh, that was the accusation was that she was, you know, kind of a tough boss. It just, I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't like this. And I think that it really kind of feeds into these right wing zealots. Stuff like this gives them ammunition to say that they're just political correctness run amok and their cancel culture and social justice, blah, 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 blah. Well, in this case, they're not wrong. And that pisses me off too. They should be wrong. I just, I don't know. Uh, it just, it scares me. I mean, look, and I, you know, I guess the moral of the story is, and I would not have needed a story like this to know this, but you don't engage with the online comments section ever. If you're going to do it anonymously, but better yet, just don't do it. But I think this is a awfully steep price to pay for interacting with a commenter. What do you think? Tweet at us or email us. You can do it all. You can tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. You can also email us, nextbestthing at radiofreebrooklyn.org or comment on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT Radio. And of course, call in live to the show, 718-673-8201. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. And we are going to be right back. 
time for some fun facts. Did you know that because of time zones, if you fly from London to New York by Concorde, you can arrive two hours before you departed? Damn, I knew the Concorde was fast. Actually, I didn't know that. I don't know what the Concorde is. So, fun fact, my ass. No one gives a shit. I don't give a... What the hell are we talking about? Did you know that in 2008, an Illinois woman had her big toe chewed off by her pet miniature dachshund while napping? Because of diabetes-related nerve damage in her extremities, the woman felt nothing and slept through the attack. Okay. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Uh, did you know that freshly laundered towels might smell and look nice, but if they were washed with underwear, they could be contaminated with feces? Well, that's usually the kind of underwear you throw out, right? You don't just wash shit-stained underwear. I hope. Lastly, did you know that there are an estimated 27 million slaves in the world today? Well, that's a nice one to end on, okay? Great. Slaves. Wonderful. God bless the world, and God bless you, and God bless this show, and we're gonna carry on. Fun, 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 fun facts. Fun, 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 fun facts. Alright, did you know that Radio Free Brooklyn has a free iPhone and Android app? No. That's right, you no longer need to be chained to your computer to listen. Just download the Radio Free Brooklyn app from the App Store or Google Play so you can listen to independent community radio wherever you go. No. You can find the iPhone app by going to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash iPhone. And the Android app is available at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash Android. So download the app today and listen to RFB wherever you are. This is the next best thing. Don't go. So on this show, we've talked about sequels a number of times. Good ones, bad ones, mostly bad ones. But not just sequels, but remakes. And I have to say, so we've talked about a film called The Shining. Because it's a great, great film. It's a Stanley Kubrick film. It's among the best pieces of filmmaking in the horror genre. And I have to say, folks, there's a sequel to The Shining that came out in 2019 called Dr. Sleep. And I have to say, you know, I was, I was skeptical of the book because it's very famously known that Stephen King does not like The Shining. We talked about it when we reviewed that film. He does not like Stanley Kubrick's film version of The Shining, I should specify, because of it's you know a number of reasons. Uh, Stanley Kubrick didn't strictly stick to the book, but that's not unusual. Um, ultimately, what Stephen King likes to say is that Stanley Kubrick's version was cold. You see, in my book the overlook hotel burns in his movie it freezes that's the difference warmth right here cold dirty bastard over there well first of all and i think i pointed this out when we reviewed the film that's not even true the overlook hotel doesn't freeze in stanley kubrick's movie Wrong. jack nicholson freezes 
So get your facts straight, Mr. King. <laughs> so when he wrote a sequel, when he wrote a sequel to his book, he only wrote the sequel like in 2013. It was not written back in the 80s or whenever, or 70s when The Shining came out. It was fairly new. So my fear was that he wrote this book kind of in response to Kubrick's growing. You know, The, the Shining film has only become more popular over time. And I thought the sequel that Stephen King wrote was written in response. And I thought, oh, God, something weird's going to be. It's not going to be very good. And I also knew that the filmmaker was working closely with Stephen King. And I thought, look, Stephen King already had a response to Kubrick's film in the form of his own film. It's called The Shining. It was a mini series, And uh, I've, seen, sir, I've seen parts of it. You know, it's not as bad as I thought it would be, but it's it's complete and utter horseshit compared to Kubrick's film. Of course it would be. So Dr. Sleep, the film came out in 2019. I went to see it. And let's face it, I had low expectations. For one thing, I'm so sick of remakes. Granted, this isn't a remake, but these updated versions, these updated takes on familiar stories and storylines... They're just, you know, Pet Cemetery. they remade that. That's one of my favorite horror movies, one of my favorite movies of all time. The fucking re- remake I just thought was a catastrophe. And most are. And this, you know, I knew Coop, uh, Stephen King didn't like Kubrick's book. I knew all of that. I thought this was just going to be some kind of, I don't know, weird kind of dig on that whole thing. It wasn't. It wasn't. It did everything I've said sequels or remakes have to do to succeed and it did more than what i've said they need to do and it did it so well it did it so well i mean just seeing the trailer if you're a fan of kubrick's film just seeing the trailer got you giddy honestly but then you go to the theater back when people did that And the lights go down, and just the way the film started gets you giddy. So right away, we're paying tribute. It's an homage. That is exactly... Not just the tune, the melody that you hear at the beginning of The Shining. That's the same instrumentation. That's damn near almost the same. It might even be the same audio recording. So immediately you're thinking, oh, you're taken back. You're excited. You recognize. And from that point forward, I mean, the first scene, you're just excited from the very beginning. And there are so many things in this film that are, you know, little throwbacks and kind of tributes and little homages to the Shining film. And you can't help but just get giddy when you see them on there, see them pop up on the screen. For one thing, oh my God, first of all, it does a remarkable job because I definitely did think that this was either going to be... couldn't be, it was going to be one of two things. It was either going to be a sequel to King's book, 
and it was going to stay true to that storyline and those characters and what King wanted, or it was going to be a sequel to Kubrick's film. It could not be both. It would not. It absolutely would not appease both fan bases, but it did. It did a remarkable job of appeasing both fan bases and and successfully being a true sequel to both the book and the film, which I thought, honestly, was damn near impossible. So we, you know, there are a number of flashback scenes, and in those flashback scenes, we, you know, revisit some of the characters we got to know and love from The Shining. And these actors, I don't know what to say. They were remarkable. The woman who played Wendy Torrance, Shelley Duvall's part, she, it was unbelievable, like, how well she was able to be, not Shelley Duvall, but Shelley Duvall's version of Wendy Torrance. And you know, it doesn't feel like she's doing some kind of parody. It's not like an imitation of Shelley Duvall's Wendy. It's the inflection, the, the, Danny, don't you do that to me, you hear? Like always nervous, always scared, always frantic. And just even when she, that earlier when she was calm, like, you have to talk to, to me. me, Danny. Please. Please talk. I mean, just kind of like desperate. And it was pitch perfect. And you also heard in those clips when you hear that ping, 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 that you cannot hear that and not be taken back to The Shining. The score, which wasn't, it didn't use classical pieces per se, like Kubrick always did. But there were, there were sounds throughout this film that I, you know, you can just, can only be described as The Shining, sounds from The Shining. The second you would hear them, you were taken back, you were taken back and you loved being taken back. That's the other thing. It didn't feel like this was you know, like a, you know, with a wink and a smile being like, you know, hey, remember this? All of the tributes and nods to The Shining were they fit into the storyline. They made sense. It wasn't purely for nostalgic purposes, but boy, it certainly did play to those. Let me tell you. And the sounds were probably the most, most shining like that. It really took you back. overlook hotel speaking to you through sound and you know the shining score it was famously you know mostly classical pieces with some electronic music intertwined but it was also famous for having sound the sound of heartbeats and you know tapping and ding 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 ding, ding like the dropping of a 
top or something. I get just these weird sounds and that was it. You cannot hear that and not be taken back to the overlook. And what made this so remarkable is that this film was not just like, it was not a remake. It was a true sequel and it had its, it was its own movie. It had a completely separate plot, mostly uh, of devoid of the overlook. It didn't take place there. Um, it had a ton of new characters, a whole new storyline. It was not just, you know, it was no family member coming, going crazy, being isolated and coming after you. It had nothing to do with the original storyline. And yet, for one reason or another, and you'll have to see the film to figure out why, but towards the end, for one reason or another, we did have to go back. And it was, I'm, I, it was like a kid in a candy store. I felt like a young, giddy schoolgirl. Because they had to go back to the Overlook. Where are we? Ohio. Where are we going? Colorado. Why Colorado? There's a place. A place that's dangerous for people like us. The place you told me about? The hungry place? Yeah, that's right. Not too much further, up the mountain. And you can see they're driving, wine, it starts to snow, they're suddenly in a mountain and in a winding road, and you can just tell where they're headed, and you, every second you're getting more giddy. Not the Overlook to start. Oh God, the theme, the Diacide. Suddenly we see the exact filming, the same views and the same camera angles flying over that lake with that little island, just like in The Shining, except now it's nighttime. Oh God, it was so fucking awesome. <laughs> and then you hear that, Boom, 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 boom. And you, you're just thrilled. I keep saying that word, but it was. It was thrilling. And the attention to detail that they put into remake, like rebuilding these sets. And again, I have to emphasize this because what made the film good was not simply, you know, you loved The Shining and you got to see The Shining parts. It was not. It was its own film, 100%. But... For the parts that did involve the Overlook, the attention to detail and recreating these sets was unbelievable. These were not real places, by the way. You know, in The Shining, the exterior of the Overlook Hotel was based off of the Timberland Lodge in Mount Hood, Oregon. The interior was based, with the design was based off of like the Ahuahi Hotel in, I think, Yosemite Park. But those were sets. Those were built on sound stages in England. So it's not like they could go to these locations and just film there and, you know, that would be pretty easy. They had to rebuild these sets and they were huge and elaborate. And it was awesome. And I, you know, it, the acting was great. And it was just, in the, I liked the new elements that were added. I thought they did a great job of that. And, you know, 
we got to see all of our friends from the Overlook. Hello, Danny. They weren't overused. They could have, you know, they easily could have been overused. And some people probably might have thought, felt that it was. Um, you know, I think that some people felt like there were, I'm trying to think, there was a, a couple of reviews that said it relies way too much on borrowed inspiration. If you know what I mean, basically it just, you know, the best parts of it are just reshoots of Kubrick. But that's not true. It's really not true. It's a remarkable job of actually intertwining the new characters, the new storyline. And hey, it's not like the Overlook is not in the book. It is. They do reference what happened because that's what makes Danny who he is. In Dr. Sleep, Danny Torrens is now an adult and he's a recovering alcoholic. He works as an orderly and he uses his powers to help the dying patients. Anyway, something bad happens and he has to return to the Overlook. And it's just, I, I love it. It, you know, it was one of the only films I've seen a modern film with any association to a, uh, an older film that I love that I wasn't completely disappointed by. And, uh, and you know, to be fair, it may have been partly because I went in with low expectations, but I listened or I watched the movie in the theater and I was real I loved it. And then I thought, you know, maybe maybe it was just all those kind of nods to The Shining that got me excited and kind of skewed my viewpoint. So I watched it again just very recently. And no, I loved it. I loved it. I told you the girl who played Wendy was remarkable. There was also a, a man who played Dick Holleran, originally played by Scatman Crothers. And he, even more so... You know, I mentioned how the woman playing Wendy, it wasn't a parody, it wasn't an imitation. Well, with the guy playing Dick Holleran, even more so, because it wasn't, he wasn't even hitting all the inflections like Wendy was. But you, not for a second, did you doubt that that was Dick Holleran. Pictures in a book. You said there were just pictures in a book and they couldn't hurt me. Some things, dark things. The Shining's like food. The Overlook, it was always just pictures to me. But I didn't shine like you. Nobody shines like you. How'd you like some ice cream, Doc? No, I, anyway, I loved it. I highly recommend this film. It's, as Nicholas Barber of the BBC said, it's credible in its characterization, rich in mythological detail, and touchingly sincere in its treatment of alcoholism and trauma. The film is impressive in all sorts of ways, but its greatest achievement is that it makes The Shining seem like a prequel, a tantalizing glimpse of a richer and more substantive narrative. Yes, and uh, Chris Hewitt of Empire said, quote, working off source material that is very different from its predecessor, anyone expecting a straightforward Shining sequel will be disappointed. This isn't a grueling exercise in pure horror. It's odder and more contemplative, but worth checking in. And that's not even a glowing review, but it's true. It's true, I say. So if I had to give it a rating between one and five, one being the worst, five being the best, for a sequel, I would give it a five. I mean, sequels are not generally good. They really aren't. You know, a sequel can be a good continuation of a former of a past storyline, 
But this was something totally different. First of all, it's a beloved film. People are obsessed with The Shining, Kubrick's film. I mean, there's an entire documentary. I mean, if you are a fan of The Shining, you got to check this out. There's a documentary called Room 237. It is from start to finish. I can't believe how like well the documentary has done because from start to finish, it is just crazy people. Really smart, really successful, crazy people talking about these crazy theories they have when it comes to this film. It's like some college professor and intellectual talks about how he sees this as, oh, well, this is a comment on the Holocaust, clearly, because Kubrick did this and he's wearing that sweater and blah, 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 blah. Someone else thinks it's a comment on how we treated the American Indians. Maybe a little bit, a little bit, but they're just talking about these random theories they have with no proof, and they're very out there. But anyway, the point is, it's a perfect example of how people are obsessed with this film. And I know I'm a huge fan of it. It's certainly not to the point where I've come up with concoctions in my head about, well, why did he do this? And what was he thinking on the Thursday of this shoot? Like, who gives a fuck? But I am a huge fan of the film. And I went in with low expectations, partly because I'm a huge fan of the film. And no. That was turned around to me because I loved the film, the first film. It pulled me in with these nods to it. And then it won me over by being totally separate entity, a whole new film of its own. So I would give it a five out of five. And if you were to ask me when you should go out and see this film, all I could say is. As soon as possible. As soon as possible. If you enjoy this show, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever it's called. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, basically wherever podcasts are found. If you can find podcasts there, you can find us there. Follow us on Twitter. We're at NextBestRadio. That's at NextBestRadio. And of course, feel free to follow me. I'm at J-O-N-B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. That's J-O-N, no H. B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. That's my handle on Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff.